Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. I'm in the process of revamping my webpage at catchoutdoors.com. I'll be adding all my books there once again for purchase. Should be up and running by the middle of November. I'm going to offer some lower prices through the holiday season for autographed books. That'll be directly shipped from me. All books are still available on Amazon. The new book should, should be available by Christmas, I'm hoping. Printing paper supplies is a problem, but I'm staying on the positive side, so hopefully we'll get this to happen as soon as possible. This is episode 58. What's a Dagny? <laughs> yeah, I, I I mentioned this to my, I said, you know, my title, I, I got to do a title and and my wife said, that's funny. It works. So anyway, what's a Dagny? Episode 58. Hmm, not a Dagnabbit, a Dagny. We'll get into that uh, and to what that's all about in just a few minutes. In the meantime, here's some updates. I usually do this at the beginning of each and every podcast. Some good news from the Western Front. That'd be from the Lee County area of Florida over on the West Coast, Southwest Coast. Things are improving with uh, more supplies coming in from everywhere. It's going to be a long road ahead, um, you know, before they can set things even close to where they were before Hurricane Ian, but the area, it will survive. I have faith. Those folks are resilient. I've been there, lived there for years, so I know. Probably going to have a brand new look, but <laughs> but so be it. Should be interesting, actually. Fishing spots will certainly change, but reports have been a few Due to debris and you know an actual um, water access, uh, most of all uh, because the ramps are closed. I mean, they're they're just the ramps are closed for now. They're available for um, you know the police and you know support things like that. But for the everyday dude to go out there and just go fishing, you, there's no no ramps at the moment. Keep you posted on that. I said this last week on the podcast, if you're planning on visiting Southwest Florida, especially, especially I'll get this out, especially areas along the beaches, uh, it'd be a good idea to check with your favorite resort, hotel, motel, to see if they are operating or not. On the Bixby front, if you didn't listen to any previous podcast, I, I bought this, this nifty little device called a Bixby, B-I-X-P-Y. And it's a little motor for a kayak, electric motor for a kayak. It's awesome. I have to tell you right now, I'm, I'm loving it. If you didn't listen last week, however, I had an update then about the new gadget I added to the Hobie, to my Hobie Outback. And um, small portable motor, basically. Uh, companies in San Diego, California. Um, I originally mounted it on an adapter that drops right into the pedal slot, slot area, you know, on the, on the, on the Hobie. And, and then I ordered an adapter to mount it to the stern of the kayak um, via what's known as the power pole mount on the back of the Hobie kayak. A lot of kayaks have this. On the back of them, there, there's a little square area. Usually it has four screw holes in it there you, that where you would mount the power pole. That's another little device that's pretty awesome on kayaks. It's an anchoring system. It's just a pole. And instead of you manually sticking it straight down next to the kayak or whatever, it will go down on the stern. It's a little motorized it's hard to describe. It's rollers, and it rolls a, a it rolls a pole down a stake down into the water to anchor the boat in place. Pretty cool. Good if the wind's behind you. Good if you want to aim at your target with wind and current behind you. It's actually it's perfect for that kind of stuff. Anchors work. A little more work on when you're doing an anchor, but the power pole is pretty neat. Those, if you're not using that, that's where the Bixby can mount the rear mount. 
Um, there's basically four pre-drilled holes and they're pre-threaded. So there's really not much you have to do with it. Uh, it was, it mounted very easily. Um, honestly, I'm happier with that setup. So I, I can't say that I wouldn't recommend the pedal drop in. It's pretty easy. It's easy to swap. Um, you know, but I kind of like having the pedals in place all the time. I'm used to using them. I use them to fish. I really would not use the big speed of fish. Uh, maybe troll. I mean, if you want to, if you're, if you live in an area where you do a lot of trolling, nearshore trolling or offshore trolling, and use a kayak for that, it's ideal because you can set speeds instead of you know pedaling or trying to paddle a, a, a trolled line behind you. It would be ideal for that. But otherwise, it makes too much noise. I mean, it's, it buzzes, it vibrates, and I certainly don't need that in Keys water where it's crystal clear and I'm going into areas that are rarely gone into. So the fish are a little suspicious when anything shows up. So. Um, and I prefer the pedal for fishing. I like to be able to pedal forward. I like putting it in reverse with just basically the touch of a finger, just pulling back on a little cable. And all of a sudden you can back up. Typically my 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 go-to for fishing against bushes and, and stuff like uh, mangrove, you know, overhangs, uh, down trees. I will go to the area I want to fish, stop the kayak, and then put it in reverse, give it a couple little pushes on the pedals to stop the kayak, and then make my cast. And that way, I'm already in reverse if something really big strikes. Um, I can't tell you how many times you almost get pulled into the bushes on, on a kayak if you're not ready for it. And that was a huge problem I had when I was using the... Um, uh, uh, paddles, not pad. Yeah. Yeah. Paddling, duh. Paddle versus pedal. Very confusing. <laughs> I mean, trying to pick up paddles and back up or try to maneuver and you're fighting a fish is ridiculous. It was just really, really hard. And so unless you were anchored, but, uh, in this case, I love the pedals and I used the pedals the other day. Um, when I put the new system on the, the rear drive on, I use the pedals almost all day, even to go someplace. I look at the Bixby as a, a traveling tool to get from place to place, which is going to open up a whole lot more area for me. The Florida Keys, water around the Keys is huge. As, as most of you know, if you've been here, if not, it's really big. And to get to some of the fishing areas, you've got a pretty good long haul to go to get across open water. Um, not even talking about the Atlantic side, going out to the reefs, but um, it's all doable now. That's that's what's really neat about the little motor. So very very happy with it and very happy with the uh, with the rear adapter. And by the way, the rear adapter is available for a whole bunch of different kayaks, not just the Hobie. They have they have mounts that'll cover just about anything you can think of. Fishing report. This is for the upper upper keys, Florida upper keys. Um, water's warming back up a little bit. Stationary front moved in on Friday. Uh, into Saturday, uh, stopped <laughs> right on top of us. Uh, the wind switched from the north, which was a, a fairly dry wind, dry, cool wind. Now it's gotten more moist again. The wind is coming out of the east-southeast. Um, it just means that we're getting Atlantic water temperatures blown to land. So instead of waking up and it's 69 to 72, now it's more closer to like to 73, 75 degrees in the morning. However, it's still not getting hot. The daytime temperature is 86 and it's comfortable. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're rolling into winter, but it did warm the water temperature up a bit. For me, uh, I fished a couple days during the week. I fished, uh, Monday right after the podcast when I did the podcast last week and I fished again on Thursday um, spent the day in Largo Sound, uh, which is on the south side of Key Largo. Um, fantastic. Just great day. I, I caught, caught snapper. I caught kudas. 
I caught mystery fish that broke me off. I caught, um, oh, I had a shot at a nice tarpon. He nosed and he messed around, but he just decided he didn't want what I was throwing. So I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to start revamping again. You know, um, these fish, man, in clear water, they just, <laughs> they're very wise. So got to work on that a little bit, but I had a great day. It was, it was constant. I fished from, uh, oh, probably about eight in the morning. I set up around seven 30, got out by eight. That's going to change too. Clocks are going back. Yay. Um, about eight in the morning and I fished till about noon. So about four hours and something else I've noticed in the keys waters, things tend to really shut down around lunchtime, regardless of what the tide's doing. They seem to get really leery when the sun's up. And then as the sun goes down in the late afternoon, the bite picks back up. Obviously, that's all tide-related, and there's lots of other things that play into there. But it's a little different than what I was used to on the west coast of Florida. It's uh, Things just come to a screeching halt, typically around 11 in the morning so far. Um, uh, I went to the dark side. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I got some shrimp. Yeah, I did. I, you know, and I, I tossed live shrimp at, at Snapper, and that worked extremely well. I, I knew where they were. Um, they would knock my baits around, my artificial baits around, my plastics. Then I tried a number of different things. Um, but Snapper got small mouths, and they are really good at just snatching at bait. So... I put a little circle hook on, a little one-aught circle hook, a little split shot above it, and put it underneath a cork, the old classic way to go after it, and cast, cast that cork up toward the bushes and let the wind and current do the rest, just carry it into where I wanted it to be. I wasn't really trying to splash it down on a spot. I was splashing it outside the spot and let it be carried, and it would go down in a hurry when it got to them. A lot of little ones at first, then I got a couple, got a few really nice ones. Um, so that was the key to getting the snapper. Um, kudas, that was also a way to keep the kudas away. The kudas didn't seem to be terribly interested in, in putting shrimp on. Uh, I had a few small ones that did, but uh, the bigger ones left me alone. And if I want a big one, I know how to do it. <laughs> Soft plastic, uh, move it as fast as you can, and you're going to get one. So anyway, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, on the artificial side, I, I was throwing... Uh, gulp swimming mullets again, but I also mixed it in with more Z-Man this time. Um, I use Z-Mans a lot on the West Coast and over on the East Coast when I lived in Fort Lauderdale. They're a real popular soft plastic. Uh, if you haven't ever used a Z-Man, you should try it. It's made of a material that's unlike anything else that's out there. The Z-Man is very is stretchy like a rubber band. Um, it uh, it holds its shape extremely well. If it's got a drawback, it's it floats, and I mean really floats. So you'll find that you you're going to have to use jig heads provided by them by Z-Man, which I do like by the way, or the hooks, the offset hooks, like by owner that have the weight already attached to them. Uh, usually on the shank of the hook, there's a weight, and you can adjust where that weight sits and how much weight you have. You're going to have to go that route. Um, to get these things down, because if you were to cast it on, a, say, just a light offset hook, which is how I use other soft plastics, it will not sink. It's, it's amazingly buoyant, the, the material is. Um, but it's very lifelike. Um, if you use a split tail or a paddle tail, jeez, um, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable how easy they are to uh, attract a fish, especially fish like snook, things that like a wiggling bait or something that's got a little little action to the tail end of it. Didn't throw much hard bait this time around. I, um, I've lost several to the kudas, so I'm getting real leery. You know, I don't, if you've priced um, 
castable baits recently, anything that's got a lip on it or usuri or stuff like that, they, they jumped in price recently. So what used to be you know three ninety nine to five ninety nine is now suddenly eight dollars, and uh, that's an awful lot to have one coup to take off with it. In my personal opinion, I am no rich man. <laughs> I don't, you know, you can, I can, I guess I could put wire on, but that's not the point. I'm not trying to catch kudas and, and I want to kind of mask the, um, you know, the attachment to the lure with, say, fluorocarbon or something to keep it interesting. But uh, there's going to come a time when I'm just going to have to buck down and, and try a light wire on it just to, just to keep the lure because, man, those kudas are aggressive as all get out around here. Um, Let's see what else. Oh, um, the reports that I've heard, the offshore reports have been really, really good. Um, fall reports are what I live for. Of course, as we roll into winter, it's it's all about going after sales and the sailfish things. I've got that on my bucket list. I really want to do that down here in the Keys. I did it a long time ago on the East Coast off of Miami, and um, it was a lot of fun. But uh, down here, they specialize in it in the winter, so I really, really want to kind of set something up for sailfishing. But Food-wise, the the mahi, the dolphin, dolphin fish, are running out there like crazy. Apparently, a friend of mine uh, took a break. Alex took a break from his repair work and his helping over on the west coast, and snuck down to the Florida Keys, down into Marathon, and did a little fishing. And I saw a report that he posted up and. Man, they got on the fish, and they got on the mahi in a big way. There were other things mixed in, but the the mahi were most impressive. Good size, you know, not the peanuts. These were these were real McCoys, and um, so that was a really good sign to see that going on. Um, I've also heard a lot of good reports about muttons. Uh, let's see what else. The triple tail on some of the buoys and around some of the markers, especially up in the top end of Florida Bay. Um, Let's see. I think that was pretty much it. There were there were. It was just a really nice mixed bag of fish, and I kept seeing a lot of different pictures from a lot of different people online on, off the keys. So I was really happy to see that that's happening. You know, anytime fall comes around, your temperatures start to drop, your wind changes a little bit, um, days get shorter. That's real important. Days get shorter, and that just really sets the fish off. They just they they suddenly decide, oh, you know what? I think I better eat. Winter's coming. Florida winter. I know. That's a joke, but well, no. <laughs> People in Florida, we're really used to it being hot. We do like it when it cools off. I know I do. I can't wait for cooler temperatures. Um, also, hanging outside is far less buggy in the wintertime, so it uh, it does make a big difference. More cookouts, more of that kind of stuff going on. So, so uh, all right. So I'm going to move on to, let's see. Oh, oh, yeah. What's a Dagny? Well, I'll tell you in just a few minutes. As most of you know, uh, my wife and I love to explore. Uh, we not only love to fish, actually fishing is my number one deal. Um, I love exploring Florida. Um, I like spending time at the beach, but I also like spending time on the trails and the parks, uh, the Everglades, uh, out-of-the-way places, but outdoors. You know, I mean, that's why it's called Catchy Outdoors. That's the name of my show uh, and my website. Um, and, I, you know, we... we we tend to try to find something that's really unusual. Well, my wife, my wife, Jonelle found this one, took me there. And uh, it's called, uh, like, what's a Dagny? <laughs> Officially, it's a state park. It's called Dagny Johnson Key Largo Hammock Botanical State Park. 
quite a mouthful. Dagny is the first name of the lady who is generally responsible for getting that park in place, making it happen here in Florida. Dagny Johnson's her name. So Dagny Johnson Key Largo Hammock Botanical State Park. Phew, that's a mouthful. Locals pretty much refer to it as the Dagny or the Dagny Johnson. Park was established in 1982 with land acquired by Florida's Conservation and Recreational Land Program. Um, it's 2,400 plus acres. Um, northern third of the island of Key Largo is pretty much the park. Um, Dagny Johnson was a local environmental activist, um, and it was named for her. She she passed away in 2003. It was named for her in. Um, uh, in 2002, um, she was instrumental in, in protecting the land there. But there's a, a lot of story behind that. Throughout the 70s and the 90s, um, uh, Johnson led upper key citizens associations like the Isaac Walton League um, and other environmental organizations that you know wanted to stop development that was planned for much of North Key Largo. You know, Key Largo got developed from right where US-1 hits Key Largo. It's really never changed. And when, when I started coming back here in the 80s and certainly in the early 90s, you know, that's where the dive shops were. That's where, that's where you, when you hit Key Largo, boom, you're in it. The ironically, to me, the weird thing about Key Largo uh, even in the early days, you didn't see any water. You didn't see any water until you got all the way through Keylar. You had to get down to Tavernier before you saw water. And I always thought that was kind of strange because um, Keylar is not that wide. It, it seems like it is, but it's in, in dimension. Um, it's not. And so the houses were kind of hid, hidden off of um, access roads that run left and right. And so were the resorts and other things. But what they what was left was if you turn if you turn left what was left if you turn left was this amazing wooded area that ran all the way up to the north end of of, of Key Largo all the way up to uh, um, Ocean Reef all the way up to Ocean Reef and there were a lot of developers eyeballing that spot because obviously there was thousands of acres there. It was right on the water and it was right on a road that was easy to get to, Card Sound Road. So when you, you come down US-1 and you hang a right, that's still US-1. If you turn left, that's Card Sound Road. It's also the back road out during hurricane evacuations. If there's a problem on one, you can go out Card Sound Road and escape that way, hopefully escape that way. So she pushed this whole thing. She she heard about it, found out about it. She says, "Look, this is this is a, a, a high. This should be a highly protected places." And she had worked very hard protecting coral reefs, and 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 she knew all about the adverse impacts of of land development. She knew what that would do. Um, the hardwood hammocks of Florida are they were and still they're slowly disappearing. And when I say a hardwood hammock, I'm talking about something that's that is badly needed by Florida for wildlife. Wildlife relies on it. And hardwoods, there can be up to 80, 90 hardwoods in a forest, different woods, believe it or not, in one forest area. And these things support all kinds of birds um, and other wildlife. And again, that stuff would get cut down, destroyed, and just basically disappear. Kind of like everything else here in Florida. A great deal of time has been spent civilizing the state. That's what I call it, civilizing the state, when in fact all that was really being done was just tearing it down. And I'm glad to see the reverse happening. It really worried me about things like the Everglades and places like that. And on the West Coast, you know, we had the 10,000 Islands and down near Marco, uh, south of Marco, Chakalaski and all those areas. I pictured all those going away, and fortunately they haven't. Janelle and I now live 
in a hardwood hammock. Um, we live in a hardwood forest. Uh, it's all around our house. Uh, we're very fortunate that the people that built these houses on the street that I'm on left the hardwoods. I think they were told to, quite frankly. I don't think it was something that, I'm not sure it was their choice. But we have this wonderful forest area behind us, a block a block between seeing any kind of stores or US-1, and on either side of us between all the houses here. And it holds an amazing amount of, of wildlife. We have birds, butterflies, critters. Um, it also supports um, an, a little bitty endangered critter called the Key Largo wood rat. Yes, we have those two. No, it's not bad. These little dudes are kind of a brownish gray color. Um, they eat mostly seeds and berries. Uh, they're not trash topplers, you know, trash can topplers. They like raccoons and possums. And most people picture a rat as living on a dumpster. That's not what, no, that's not what this is. Um, but they happen to be, you know, they're protected and uh, damn near extinct. Um, so what was going to happen in the park location was pretty crazy, but somewhat normal when it comes to development. Um, and I'll get back to the wood rat here in just a second, but the name of the place was called Port uh, Bougainville. <laughs> yes, Bougainville with Bougainville on the end. With Ville on the end, Bo Bougainville was his name. Huge condominium development that was slated to cover 2,500 acres of hardwood forest. Um, it included canals. It was built as a Mediterranean, only minutes from Miami. <laughs> I'm reading from the card. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, somewhat modeled after Venice, Italy, complete with architecture, the buildings, you know, Italian architecture. I mean, I've seen pictures. It's amazing. And, uh, and the canals of Venice as well. They were carving canals out um, through the, um, uh, the coral, the coral rock. However, as progress continued, this is really important, developing the area, the interest from buyers just didn't pan out. It's kind of one of those weird, I honestly don't know why. I've, I've researched and tried to find out why, but nobody seems to know. But basically what happened is you had all this interest in this thing from the developers, and they thought, this is going to be great. We got an access road dumping right into it. We can build a helicopter landing pad to bring in the rich folks if we want. And then we're, we're close to Ocean Reef, which is already well-established, and we're close to Key Largo, which is shopping and grocery and, you know, everything's perfect. But for some reason, people just didn't, I don't know, it didn't look like Florida. That could be part of it. It didn't have the resemblance of, you know, the, the classic wraparound porches and tin roofs and that kind of stuff. It, it looked like Italian villas is what it looked like. Um, do you look it up on the web? Look up uh, Bougainville um, and Key Largo, and you should be able to see some pictures of it. It's crazy. But there was also the, another issue, and that was um, animals and critters and protected things that lived within those woods. And one of them was this this little rat, this this Key Largo wood rat. And of course, uh, Ms. Dagny Johnson and hers and other grassroots efforts and stuff stopped the project. So, even it wasn't selling. They were getting ready to back out anyway. So it's kind of a it's a it's a double edged sword here. But but they came in and said, look, there's a wood rat in here among other things. There's quite a few other things that are that are nearly extinct in that area. And off they went. Uh, you know, it's called the Key Largo wood rat for a reason. It's only found here. In North Key Largo, you don't find it much. You don't actually don't find it below where we live, and we're only a couple of miles from where you turn off and start to hit US one to head down to Key West. The park contains one of the largest tracts of West Indian tropical hardwood hammock in the United States. That's the important part. It's beautiful. Uh, we went there 
if you come off, you come down US one, you hang a left instead of going right, and you just go a mile, if that mile and a half, maybe down uh, Card Sound Road on the right hand side's an entrance. Entrance. The park is. Um, the botanical parks and things like that, these are not like full-blown state parks with access for kayaking, boating, swimming, all that kind of stuff. These are more laid back, so there's no gate. You pay $2.50 to get in honor system. You put it in an envelope and stick it in a, in a cash box, and it's collected. Um, if you have a state park pass, you can get in with your state park pass. There's no need to do that. However, donations are always welcome. So, um the park is home to, I'm going to read you a little bit about this. park is home to 84 protected species of plants, animals, including wild cotton, mahogany mistletoe, the American crocodile, shallow swallowtail butterfly, the only place you'll find that butterfly, and the Key Largo wood rat. Exploring the park's trails gives visitors a chance to see some of the rare species, rare species of plants and animals in Florida. Over six miles of nature trail provide a wealth of opportunities for bird watchers and photographers. Most of the park's trails are paved and accessible by both bikes and wheelchairs. Signs along uh, our self-guided nature trail system uh, have information about the park's ecosystem, wildlife, and they also have ranger-guided uh, tours. As I mentioned, it's located up on Cardstown Road, so it's not very hard to get to. And uh, it's, it's without a doubt probably one of the neatest things I've run into. Bicycling. That's what I like to do. Uh, bicycling is high on my list right along with kayaking. Um, good exercise, but it's easy transportation. I don't go fast, and I don't go out in traffic. So the trails they have there break away from paved and then go into um, hard pack, like shell, I guess you'd call it. It's I mean, you're riding on coral. You're riding on coral rock. It's bumpy. Uh, you have to be careful. I would not do a street bike, but you could get away with it if you're really careful. But you don't really need a full-blown off-road either. One of the hybrids, my, my wife and I, Janelle and I both have hybrid bikes, which have tires on it that are good for both trail riding and riding on pavement. So that's something you'd want to look at. Um, the trail's littered with gravel, leaves, branches, you know, things that you have to watch out for. Side. So I'd say a fat tire is certainly, uh, you'd want to do that over, over a skinny tire or something that you'd ride on a uh, street with. Um, helmets are recommended. And remember in the state of Florida, if you are 16 or younger, you were required to wear a helmet while you're biking. So keep that in mind. Birding, tons of birds. I, it's really, you can hear them constantly when you're on the trails. Um, I think what I really liked about it was the remote area in the very, very back. Back in the remote area, there was um, uh, there, the, the canals had been dug. A lot of the water was already in there, and some of them were tidal, and some of them appear to be groundwater, fresh groundwater. I'm, I'm not really sure until I go. I'm going to go back with a fishing rod and experiment and let you know what that's all about. But there's plenty of access to get to water to fish. Uh, again, there's American crocodiles in there. You want to watch yourself and be careful. Um, there's also snakes. It's Florida, of course. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of want to watch out for that. But there's some pretty cool birds in there. Uh, one of them is a right, bleh, white crowned pigeon. Really unusual looking little bird. And the mangrove cuckoo. I haven't seen one of those yet, but I'd love to. Um, there's flycatchers. There's all kinds of really cool wildlife that live in the area. Um, let's see, it's a migratory area too. So 
southbound in October, the migratory birds kind of funnel into the Keys because of the landform. And, and so if you start going now in October until April, you're going to see some pretty magnificent uh, birds come in there. Now, the, the flow comes in October and a chunk of November, and then it, in turn, it turns around in April and they start flying back to where they came from. So that's that's where you're going to see some of the coolest things. Um, let's see. In addition to the six miles of trails, which are fairly accessible by just about anybody, walking, definitely walking, not a problem. Um, there's an additional seven miles north of the main entrance. So there's there's more. And that's what they consider like the off-road area. You can't bring a vehicle. Boy, I wish. Man, I saw places where I'd love to take my Jeep. Um, but that's a no-no. Uh, but up in that area, there are an additional set of trails that are that are bikeable. And as a matter of fact, I'm planning on doing that next weekend. I think I'm going to, my wife and I are both going to grab the bikes and go in there and do a trail so we can cover more area. It's also fascinating to see the remnants of what was going to be Bougainville. <laughs> in, in the ground, for example, in the paved areas are manhole covers and there's electrical um, and communication manhole covers. Um, there are uh, walls that were built, these beautiful um, uh, hard uh, coral rock stone walls for entryways. There are lots in the back. You can see where they were starting to cut lots out of the woods. And that, of course, gives you access to the water I'm talking about. Um, so, it's, it's very intricate. As a matter of fact, I'd highly recommend a trail map or a trail app uh, before you go in there so you don't get turned around. If you stay on the main trail, it's a giant loop. You can't get lost, okay? If you venture off, all bets are off. So keep that in mind. I have a trail app that I carry with me. As a matter of fact, it's one that I use in the Jeep. Uh, so when I go off-road, I can just flip that on my little screen on the Jeep, and it's really great. It's just it's basically like Google Maps. tells you where you are. It also tells you where all the amenities are and tells you um, how good or bad the trail might be. So in other words, like for example, right now, there are some trails in that park that are submerged, and it'll let you know that. As we go into winter, things will dry out dramatically, and that's a great time, by the way, to do trail parks. Um anywhere in Florida. Uh, so things will start to dry out. The water will dry up. Uh, we get very little rain in the wintertime, and that makes it a lot, well, first of all, easier to maneuver through and also a lot less buggy. However, bring your bug spray. Uh, I think we applied <laughs> at least three times. So make sure you're going in with that. I, I want to mention that before I forget. Take a backpack, small backpack between you know, for yourself or between two of you. Uh, bottles of water, uh, cameras, obviously. I like to take the GoPro in there for pictures. Um, and then uh, make sure you take bug spray. Uh, and communication's good. There's cell service all the way through the park. So I wouldn't worry too much about cell, not having a cell phone. Some parks I recommend taking a, um, a radio, handheld radio or a device, a uh, locator device um, that are available for hikers. Uh, but this park has really got good connectivity, so you shouldn't have to worry about that. Um, the hours are pretty much sun up to sundown, which is going to change now, of course, with the clock changing. So you have to kind of keep track of that. There is a picnic pavilion in the circle in the middle. When you when you go in the main walk, you, you'll see the typical classical slip uh, split road. You know, one one road going in, one road going out with woods in the middle. That was going to be the entryway. And then it, it lands at a big circle. And in the circle, there's picnic tables and places to stop in there. Obviously on foot, you're not going to be able to get in there in your vehicle. Um, but it's pretty cool. It is, it is For me, it was really just interesting to see where it was going. And I'm so thankful that it stopped. 
There are also restrooms available near the entrance or short, actually shortly after the circle. Um, so you can make a pit stop there. Um, there's no water there. There's no, there's no water fountain. There's nothing to, to, there's nothing to buy there. There's no water fountain, no snacks, nothing like that. That is not that type of park. So make sure you bring in what you want to munch on. And please, please, please make sure you take the trash out with you. While you're there, do one thing. Make sure you look at what you're walking on. I'm not talking about watching out what you're walking on. Look at what you're walking on. It's utterly fascinating. You are literally walking on an ancient coral bed. What was under the Atlantic Ocean at some point. There's all kinds of fossilized creatures, shells, animal, things like that in what you're literally walking on. And I stopped and took quite a few photographs just because I found it so interesting. And of course, they mined a lot of coral out to build walls and things. And if you look closely at the walls, you'll see the same thing. Um, I'm just really thankful that it's protected. But I thought it, that was really, really cool. So when you're in there, if you go in there, be sure to check it out. Um, it's a great way to spend the morning. Uh, go early when it opens up. Uh, it's not really crowded. It has very limited parking out front. I'd say you could probably could put maybe a dozen cars out there at the most. It's okay to park on the road if you park off the road. But uh, if you get there early, it's going to be fine. And it's not one of these places that's overrun with people. I'm sure in the winter, I haven't been there in the winter yet. I'm sure in the winter there will be more guests there than there are in the summertime, obviously fall and spring. But uh, if you get there early enough, you should be able to really enjoy the park and, and get a good idea of what it's like. Um, again, it's called the Dagny Johnson Key Largo Hammock Botanical State Park or the Dagny Johnson State Park. Look it up online. Give it a Google. Check it out. It's really interesting. I would highly recommend a visit there. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend, leave a review. You can also follow me. You know, you can you can click on the little follow thing and then you get notified when there's a new podcast. Podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network and is available on Waypoint and by many of your favorite podcast providers. Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. Website is waypointtv.com and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy.